Colossians 3. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17. But as you turn your way, just by way of introduction, I think there's a, I don't really understand this fascination, but there's a fascination with some people have with the British royal family, like just who everybody is and kind of like they just, there's like a, it just seems like there's drama all the time going on with the family. And some people just love this sort of stuff. And I, I don't know that I really get it. But I do find like this family though, just the, because there's so much known about them, like there's certain quirks about sort of royal life and royal traditions that to me, I just, I just find entertaining. And there are certain rules that sort of people have to employ around them that I just find odd. So, so just so you know, in case you ever go to uh, eat at Buckingham Palace um, when, when COVID's done, um, just a couple of sort of things they have for meals in place there. So one is that you can't, so you're served dinner, it doesn't matter, you know, everybody's served, whatever nobody's allowed to eat until the queen takes the first bite. So that's just like the rule. So you might sit there for a half hour in silence and just wait, you know, your food's getting cold, but until the queen takes the first bite, nobody can eat. But then the meal ends, like you're, you're done eating when the queen takes her last bite. So she puts her spoon down and she turns it a certain way. And that is the signal of like, everybody is done eating. And so people have literally like, have not come back who've broken this rule. It's just, it's not just like, oh, it's polite. Like you, you can't come back to the palace if you break that rule. And so there's that. They have this rule for table discussions. So, the, so whoever, wherever you're sitting, if, during the first course of the meal, you're allowed to talk to the person on your right, and that's who you converse with. And then during the second course, you talk with the person on your left, and that's sort of the way. And it's like, again, it's this rule that you have to follow. And I was trying to figure out how to do it because like, sometimes like, you're on somebody else's left and they're on your right. And I, I was trying to figure out how it worked. I don't know, but that, like, that's the rule, and it's like this certain thing you have to do. You're not allowed, the, the, in the, the whole palace, the, the game Monopoly is banned, so you're not allowed to play the game Monopoly. So I guess they have, I guess them owning everything and having an empire and everything sort of brings up some bad imagery, so they're, they're not liking that. So the board game Monopoly can't be played in the, in the Royal Palace. But this one, this one's probably my favorite one. This one to me is strange, though I like it. So if you go for Christmas, um, if you go to Buckingham Palace for Christmas, and you're part of like a Christmas party or like a, an official Christmas dinner, they actually weigh you before it all starts, and they weigh you afterwards, and they ensure that you weigh more. They, they, there used to be this concern that people didn't eat enough, and that, so they actually had this thing. So you have, they weigh you before and after, and you have to weigh more leaving. Um, so that way you eat all the food. So I, I really, I would love that one. Um, so, and then they're, they're known for their hats, right? So this is an actual rule. So in the royal family, you know, everybody wears like the, the hats and they're all elegant and I don't know, there's birds and flowers in them and stuff and it's very fancy. But at 6 p.m., after 6 p.m., you are not allowed to wear a hat anymore. You have to trade it for either a tiara or a crown unless you're single. So if you're married, you take off the hat and you trade it for tiara. But if you're single, you still keep wearing the hat. It's kind of like this signal to everybody around you that you're available to be married into the royal family. So it's just like they have all these rules that sort of they follow. And honestly, they just, like, you could keep, like, people have written just, like, volumes about sort of all the oddities of the rules, and I think they're, they're weird. But they actually each have, like, sort of a grounding in history, and, like, why do they do this? Like, why has this tradition sort of been built up and, and done? And so for them, it's not just sort of following mere tradition, but there's a but it's not just to sort of mess with people and have them think they're weird, but there's this royal tradition that they're a part of and that they follow. And this sense of that because we're the royal family, we just, we have different rules, we walk differently than the rest of the world, different sort of traditions apply to us. And so the, some of these just look very odd and weird and just all that. Their royal identity, the fact that they have a royal identity and that they live at the palace is meant to govern all that they do and how they live, and even when they speak, and who they speak to. And so for them, they, they have this viewpoint, the royal tradition doesn't, the royal family doesn't make the traditions, 
But their job is to maintain the traditions and pass them on throughout time. And so you don't do these things to become royal, but you do these things because you are part of royalty. And like them, we are a people with an identity, and this identity is meant to govern everything we do. And while this identity shouldn't lead to us weighing in before care group and all those sort of things, it, <laughs> what we are called to do really also will look strange in the world we live in because we are called to live differently because of what our true identity is. So we're not tra- called to trade in hats or tiaras at certain times of day, but, but Paul in chapter 3 is telling us to put off something, to put something off of idolatry and coveting and sexual sins and anger and hurtful speech. And he's telling us to put this on instead because of our true identity, to to wear this instead. And so the main thing we're going to be looking at in these verses is putting on the royal wardrobe, putting on the royal wardrobe. So for that, let's look at verses 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, again, we're looking at this idea of putting on the royal wardrobe and three points we're going to look at this morning. And point number one is our position, our position. So in verse 12, he he tells us to put on something. So he tells us this list of things that we are to put on, but it's immediately following verses 5 through 11, where he was telling us what to put off, what to, what, 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 what needs to be, in verse 5, he says, he calls us to put to death certain things, to take off certain things. So to take off this old man and replace it with something. And so the last section he was looking at, here's what the old man looks like. That's what you're supposed to put off. And now here's what the new man looks like. This is what we are to put on instead. But before he tells us what to put on, he offers us one more reminder of what is true, one more reason and reminder of why we have the power to dress differently, to put these new things on, to one more that, that we, 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 we do this differently because of who we are, because of what our true identity and position is. This is why we do this. So in verse 12, he reminds us that we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And he says, right now, we are God's chosen ones, reminding us we aren't random people who at one point in their life happened to make a decision at one point, and now we're barely hanging on, hoping to make it, that we are God's chosen ones, that before the foundation of the world, God moved towards us before we ever moved towards him. And he says, right now, you are beloved, that we don't put these things on in order to be loved by God. We do these things as those who are already loved by God. We do these things because God is already in His love pursuing us. His love is being poured out into us. Before you put any of these things on, before you take any of these other old things off, and before you put any of these things on, you are already fully beloved in Him. And then He calls us each holy. Now, holy means 
blameless and pure. There's a, mor- a moral purity to it. And it also means there's this, set of just this nature of being set apart, being different. And so we need to know, he's not telling us, hey, do these things in order to be pure and holy. Do these things in order so that one day you'll be seen as holy. Obviously, we want to do them, and as we do them, we'll grow in holiness. But he's saying, no, you already are holy. You already are set apart. You already, you already are this, which means he is so confident in, in our future, per, per, he's, already, he's so confident in our future perfected holiness, the fact that one day holiness is our destination, it is where we will arrive, that to him, that this is such a sure event. It is so certain to be completed. It's, it, it, it's so fixed and immovable in eternity that it transforms our identity today. He's so confident that that's where we're going. He's saying, and now listen, I'm so confident that's where you're going to be. Now, let me show you how to get there. But you're already, you're already holy and a holy people. We also need to note that this isn't, this isn't just sort of us individually. Okay, I am holy and I am beloved and I am chosen, though that certainly would apply to each individual in Christ, that he is, he is writing to a church and, he, and he's making it clear, this is your corporate identity. To the church in Colossae, saying, this is what you, you collectively are. This is your corporate identity. That, that since, really, since Abraham, we see this, this pursuit of God to have a people, to be, have a, a nation set apart that would be holy and beloved and chosen. And he says, that's what you now are. Sort of all the, the promises to Abraham, all the, all the sort of one day I will have this. This is what you are. This is what you are collectively a part of. That you are part of God's eternal purposes to have a people set apart. That we aren't just sort of lone ranger Christians with this great identity going on my own, but we are, that our identity is only known, and our individual identity is only known through seeing that we're part of a bigger identity that we've been given, a bigger purpose and family that we're a part of. But he starts out saying, hey, listen, this isn't just what one day you will be, but this is already what we are. We are chosen. We are holy. We are we are beloved. We are immovably all these things. That all in Jesus Christ are these things. And that he want to make this clear because, listen, there are going to be sort of certain days and certain weeks where we won't feel this. There are going to be certain days and certain weeks where circumstances will feel like, well, I'm not any of these things. And he's making sure, no, 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 no you are. He's making it clear, listen, there's going to be certain days that listen, it feels like you're not putting off the old man, you're not putting on this new man, you're not doing a very good job of that, and so you're not going to feel like I'm these things. And he's saying, no, 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 it doesn't matter what you feel. Here's what's true. Here's, what, here's who the real you is. Here's your actual identity. Here's your actual position is that you are holy and beloved and chosen. Second point we want to look at is our posture, our posture. So he says, given who we are, put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called into one body and be thankful. Um, I don't know how you feel like I spend my free time, but I don't actually spend a lot of my free time like reading fashion magazines. It's not a um, particular hobby of mine. I just naturally am very fashionable. And um, so I don't, I don't really feel like I have profound insight into this sort of fashion community. But my, my sense of it is there's sort of like 
there's, there's two sort of ways to look at fashion, right? So they have sort of like, oh, this, this shirt or this, you know, I don't know, these shoes are particularly, like, this is going to be the new look, right? And so there's sort of individual pieces of clothing that are kind of be fashionable. But, it, but it's much more, here's the new style. Here's the, here's the look that's going to be in, right? Like, there's sort of like a, this is the, the look you're going for. This is what's going to be trendy in 2022. You know, sort of this, this sense of, it's a general look, not just this shirt or this sort of, you know, this piece. But it's a, this is the, this is the style that's going to be in. And here... One of the things Paul's doing as he talks about sort of putting this on, this isn't sort of like, here's, here's the individual piece, here's the style of what it looks like to be a Christian. Here's how, the, here's how you're meant to dress as a Christian. This is the, the style, but it doesn't sort of change with the season. It doesn't go out of fashion, but it's not just sort of individual list of things to put on. It's not a checklist, but it's this, here's what you dress in. And what you dress in is this governing disposition of our hearts, a different a different outlook and a different countenance about us. So it's not just put on this, put on this sort of individual piece, but there's this perspective in which we have towards life and how we walk. And he says, so with that, we have the peace of Christ. And that produces love and forgiveness. It bears these fruit in our lives. But you need to recognize something. If you, if you read this, everybody would read this. But yeah, these are good things to put on. Like who doesn't want to be meek and humble and compassionate? But we need to recognize that the, the context and what we're putting things on, right? So my son and I like watching basketball, right? And so basketball players, like they're not wearing shirts and ties when they go to work, right? Like they're, they're dressed in shorts, they're dressed in sneakers, right? Because why, now why are they dressed like that? I mean, to sell jerseys at one level, but another level, it's because they're wearing these things, right? Because they're going to run around, they're going to get sweaty. Like they, they dress a certain way because this is sort of their uniform and it's, and it's meant to be effective. It's meant to help them play the game in the real conditions they're playing, right? Like that they're, they're dressed for what they're about to do. And so he, he's telling us to, to get dressed in what we're about to do. And what we're about to do is walk in a world where people are going to sin. People are going to sin against us. The world's going to have sort of trials that it's going to throw on us. So we're not looking at this like, yeah, this list would be really great. I would put on compassion. I would put on patience. But that guy was impatient with me, so I'm not going to put that on right now. This, this, the underlying assumption is we're putting on this because in the real world, the world will have people that sin against us, that the world will be harsh and chaotic, that there will be disharmony that will be around us. Listen, He's not telling us to put these things on in heaven. In heaven, we don't need to bear with one another. We don't need to bear with sort of perfect, perfected people in a perfect world. This, this assumes we're putting this on in an imperfect community, around imperfect people in an imperfect world. This isn't sort of put this, thing, put this sort of idealistic thing on, but it's sort of in this utopian society that just falls apart at the first sin. This is in the real world in which you live, put on love. Put on, sort of, put on and have the peace of Christ rule you. Because, because here's what's true in your life. Despite whatever's going on, despite whatever chaos is happening around you, the peace of Christ is in you and should rule you. That forgiveness from God has happened to you. And so, yeah, others, others sin and others hurt me. But listen, I have sinned against a holy God and he forgave me. It cost him his son. So listen, their sin hurts but a much bigger forgiveness is being poured out in me each and every day. A much greater love is being poured out in me, and so I can love. 
This is looking at the, and being transformed by the higher and eternal power that we have within us, the, the truer identity about us that, that makes it that I can really be compassionate and meek and humble and kind, that we can use meekness, which is really using your power, not to show your might, but, to, but for kindness. And we can be patient, we can bear with one another, we can love And so this is primarily what Paul has in mind here is a disposition, not just sort of singular actions, but a motive of our hearts. It's it's being so aware of the peace of God and the love of God and the compassion of God and the forgiveness of God that it simply flows out of us, that it it looks at it and say, how does God forgive me? What what does it mean to forgive as Christ forgives? Well, Christ doesn't forgive reluctantly. Christ doesn't forgive when the person repents with just the right words and pure motive he, he pursues forgiveness. He looks for forgiveness. He hopes for forgiveness. He offers forgiveness. What, what's love in action? I, I want there to be no disharmony between us. Of course we're different. But these differences aren't the primary things I'm focused on so that we can be divided. I want, I want to walk in harmony and unity. And this is what we are to wear. This is what we are to put on. Which means we need to be looking to be compassionate and looking to bear with, looking to be patient and to be humble and meek and kind and looking for ways to express that in our community. We're looking for, it's supposed to be flowing out of us. It's just sort of like we're looking for people to be compassionate with and, and humble towards. Not just in a perfect community, but in a community of actual sinners. In this church community, that, this is what we're to put on. In our household, this is what we're to put on. In the broader community in which we live in, this is what we are to put on. Our clothes are meant to be this disposition of heart. So to be clear, listen, in our homes and in this church, it doesn't, it, it doesn't serve to act like sin has no consequences and that sin is not destructive and that doesn't cause real pain. It doesn't serve anyone just to be those who are just walked over and just, just to be stepped on again and again and again with, with no repercussions. But what he's listing here is not passivity and weakness, but a resilient, forgiving, and forbearing strength. A strength that is able to absorb the worst around us and extend what is born by the Spirit in us. This is not take sin lightly around you, but this is respond to sin and sinful situations and sinners with compassion. So this is not in Christian community. Listen, in Christian community, we absolutely want to help each other walk in purity and holiness and obedience. This isn't like sin. Who, who cares? We're just being nice to each other. And in parenting, we want to hold the line for our children because we want them to walk in obedience and worship to a holy God. But in our community, we're not, we're not keeping score. No one's failing our standard. We're not sort of drill sergeants who are holier than other people, sort of yelling orders. We're fellow sinners transformed by the grace of God, desiring nothing more than for those who sin to be gripped by the grace of God as well. And so that's what we want to give them. And so compassion is not compromise with sin, but it's recognition that sinners desperately need the mercy of God, the mercy that transforms. And so we want to act in a way that helps them to receive it and to see it. So be clear, we're not offering real compassion if we act like God has no standards. We're not not kind by compromising with sin. Jesus didn't compromise with sin. He didn't ignore sin. But he loves in spite of sin. He forgives our sin. And he looks to draw in sinners where where sin naturally pushes us away. 
See, the world has a category where they can overlook sin. The world has a category where they can punish sin. But the cross of Jesus Christ bears and absorbs sins and reconciles sinners. So we want that kind of forgiveness. But it's, it's not just that forgiveness, this idea of forgiving and compassionate and humble love is, is, a, is, a, is a driving distinctive in our life. It, it's, 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 we want to be driving with this. We want, we want to go with the motive of how do we foster harmony? How do we foster unity? How do we, how do we foster love? Not just in, with sin and sinners. Okay, somebody sinned against me. I, I can be compassionate. But to whatever it is that would earthly divide us, how do we bring unity and harmony? So one of the characteristics of a compassionate heart is it spends more thoughts and it spends more time on caring for someone who is different than debating someone who is different. One of the marks of harmonious love is that they're far more aware of what they hold in common than what they are that's different. One of the marks of, of leaning in to forgive is that they're far more aware of how this person is a joy bought with the blood of Christ than, than how this person misses the mark. See, when we act in harmonious love, but listen, we're, we're, we're more aware of what you, you're, we're, you're what we are united in and what Jesus Christ has purchased with, with our blood than we are over sort of over differences over sort of our preferences over masks or what movie we wear. We, we're more aware of what Jesus has done for them and, and is doing in them. It doesn't mean none of these things, other, other differences and other things don't matter, but it's sort of, that, that, that's not the primary thing that we're building around. It doesn't mean there's no place in Christian community to challenge other people who, who are beginning to struggle, but, but it's recognizing that if they are in Christ, their primary identity is not those who are stumbling down the road, it's that they are holy and chosen and beloved. And there is more unity in that than any of these other earthly differences and perspectives than we would bring. So it's looking to say, though we're different on certain issues, that we are, we are one in Jesus Christ. And so the gospel calls us to have a transformed heart perspective as we walk in our homes, as we walk in the church, as we walk in our world. One of the, one of the things that I, I just love the way it speaks about truth here is, is listen, it, it upholds this idea of, of being a people about truth, right? It upholds, listen, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let the word of truth dwell in you. It, it, it's, listen, it upholds that, listen, the, the word is to dwell within us. We are to be a people of the truth, for the truth, armed with truth, transformed by truth. But the way it, it's given here, it's, listen, the truth isn't a weapon that we use to bludgeon others with. It's a power that transforms us and calls us to love others. And so even as we think about the community around us, so this book is the truth, and so may we proclaim it, may we proclaim it boldly and without compromise, but we do that not by telling a sinful world at our safe distance, you know, just stop sinning, and then we're going to help. Or sort of this sort of self-righteous, don't you know what this book says? Don't, don't you know how you've, you've not lived up to this? Listen, when you, when you get it right, we'll, 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 we'll be there to greet you. Now, we're able to tell a world that we step into, a world that is broken and deceived and powerless, that is broken by sin and powerless over sin. We're able to tell this world with full and broken hearts, do I have good news for you? about the one who came and breaks the power of sin and death, the one who came to set the captives free and whose kindness is there to lead us to repentance. So maybe we, we be a people full with truth, but may that truth 
primarily have a transformative effect on our hearts that we engage the world in. Third point I want to look at is our power. Our power. Verse 15 through 17 again say, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A couple years ago, I got the opportunity to go to Victoria Falls, which is, uh, if you um, know kind of your geography, is uh, in southern Africa. It's on the border between Zimbabwe and Zambia. So if you know about the waterfalls, I, I don't need to tell you, but it's probably, I think, most people say, it's, I think it's, they measure these things different. I think it's the highest waterfalls in the world. I think it's like the most water that comes through it. Or, but it's, it's magnificent. I mean, it really, it, it's gorgeous. And it's just this, um, even in droughts, because, all the, because of the, the, where the rivers are positioned, like literally all the, all the water of, of Zimbabwe funnels down to this river. And so just even in drought, like there's just this constant flow and just this unbelievable, just the, the falls are so big and so glorious. And there's just this botanical life that, that's all around it. And it's just, I mean, it's was, it was very cool to be part of, but there's this, there's this one spot, but it, so it's on this border. And so this, this body of water separates Zimbabwe and Zambia. And so there's one spot in particular, the falls that it's famous for that you can stand at a certain spot beneath it. And because of the way the water sort of comes crashing down and it's below this fall, you're hundreds of yards or a hundred yards away and you're soaked by the water. Just how the volume of water, there's this one spot. And pretty typically in Zimbabwe, it's hot. And so you have all this stuff where you know, it's just, you can see people down there and they are so refreshed by the water. I mean, this is like, it just looks fun. It's, it's the spot you want to be is, is sort of just in that moment, looking at the falls, just getting soaked by the water. But, but because of where it is, we, when we went, I went with uh, two brothers and a friend of ours, and, and we were there, and we were seeing all these people, and they looked so happy and so refreshed. They're getting just drenched by the water, and it was just this happy moment. And we're there, and we're just like, that looks really fun, and we have no idea how to get there because it's like it's 50 yards away from us, but it's literally across. It's, it's, we have to cross a border. We have to go across. We have no idea how we can actually get there. But man, wouldn't that be cool to experience? And we ended up not getting over there. Um, but I was thinking about that, 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 that image of, I think we can hear a verse like this, and we can say, yeah, this, I know Christians who experience this, that have the peace of God that just rules them, that, that, that they have a love of God that just, that, that, that just pours out of them, that, they, that, that, that God just, you know, I know God pours out so much love and peace and joy and security. I know it's meant to fill me. I know it's meant to fill me so much that it just flows out of me. But I feel at times like I'm that person watching them enjoy it, and I'm not quite sure how to get there. If you ever feel like that, here's, here's what Paul is calling us to do. Listen, in a sense, he's telling us, yeah, put on more love, put on more compassion, and we do that. But it's primarily not by, okay, I'm just going to put another thing on, and put another thing on, and put another thing on. It's by more and more standing at the source of all love and peace and gentleness and meekness and kindness and standing at that source and being so close to that source that it just flows into us and flows out of us. So how do we do that? How do we stand at that source? Well, very simply here, 
It tells us this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. I think sometimes we, we want this really complicated formula. But here's what Paul says. Here's how we get there. Let this book, let this word dwell in you. Spend time in this book. Have a quiet time. But but it's more than just sort of that. It's not just spend 20 minutes a day and then put the book on the shelf and assume that I'm filled and have it dwelling in me. No, it's live by this book. Be governed by this book. Walk with this book. Live with this book in your life. Turn to this every day. Be, Be serious about this book having an impact in my life. Sort of this idea of, Lord, I have no wisdom I have nothing to offer your people unless, unless it is coming from this book. Lord, I have no source of, of wisdom. I have no source of life unless it is you, and you give me life through this book. So I need to get life, so I'm going to this book. It is, Lord, I have, I have nothing to offer your people. I have nothing to offer your fa- my family. I have nothing to offer this community unless you are pouring out your life into me. Lord, I have no... Nothing that I can offer in my own flesh to serve your people. So I need to be filled with you. And the primary place I find you is in this book. So I'm going to live like this book is my very life. And we're just going to go and we're going to go and we're going to go. And, and so here's the, this book is not primarily just sort of a, this quiet time activity that we do for 20 minutes a day. It's, this, it's the constant source of where we go. And I would just say this. Listen, if you're somebody that's like, yeah, I know, I know that's it, but how do I get there? I just say, keep going. This book brings life. It absolutely brings life. And so we just need to keep going and keep going and keep going. And I promise you, if you keep going to the source of life, God is not out there sort of moving the goal along. He, he is found in this book time and time again. So keep going. But I would also say this. This is not just an individual activity. This is a corporate activity that we participate in. When he says, let the word of Christ dwell let the word dwell in you. There's a plural form of you that he has in mind. It's teach and admonish one another. Don't just sort of get your daily fill and go on your way. Teach and admonish one another. Sing songs to one another. This is a corporate activity that Paul has in mind. Basically, not only are we called to go to the word, we are called to help one another have the word dwell in us corporately as a body. So we're to we're to go and we're to hear preaching and then we're going to talk about it at meals and at care groups. We're going to live by it together and help others live by it. We're going to go to care group to where we can have the word more and more applied to our life. We're going to go to Bible study and, have, and dig into the word more. We are meant to help each other live by this book and walk with one another. We come together to receive the Lord's Supper, which is a reminder that the word was made flesh, he died for us, and he rose from the grave, and that has impacted everything about us. And that's not a theoretical thing that happened. That's what he did. And so we remind ourselves of, he did, we don't just do the Lord's Supper in our home in private. We come together as one people impacted by the gospel and say, this is what he did for us. He dwells in us. We come together as a transforming people, to remind ourselves of what the Word does and has done. We sing together. We, we, we sing to the Lord, but we also are singing in the midst of other people, singing to one another songs that declare the peace of God, reminding each other of, of His peace, ruling and transforming. We sing about the wisdom of God. We, we sing and remind of each other of all the reasons we can be grateful for what God has done in our midst. And so we come together as a people in a sin-saturated world, in a world that so easily discourages and sells pride and defensiveness and strength through self-protection and self-promotion, 
And we come together to be reminded and to be strengthened of the compassion of God, of the kindness of God, of the mercy of God, of the love of God, and the difference that that has made and will continue to make in each of us individually and in our corporate life. And so we come to the Lord as individuals. We come to the Lord in community. Listen, if you, I'm going to, if, if, if you're somebody who's not a member here of this church, let me just encourage you, dig deeper into this community. If you find a gospel preaching, gospel singing, gospel impacted, not a perfect, but a, a gospel singing, gospel impacted, gospel preaching community, and a community that is built on this book and the message of this book, double down on that community. Listen, if you're new to this community, you're, there's going to be, at some point, if you stick around, you're going to be sinned against, you're going to be hurt, it's going to happen. And you're going to be transformed by a community of people who forgive and love and are compassionate and who walk in unity. So we go to his community and we go to Jesus Christ. We remind ourselves each and every day that we put on patience because God has never been impatient with me through Jesus Christ. He has never snapped at me. He has never... He's never even had to bite his tongue like, oh, I want to say this, but I won't. He perfectly and has patiently loved us. He has been gentle and kind with us in, an, in a way that is unending and overflowing. And so we want to remind ourselves daily of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so that transforms our lives and our hearts. So just one final reminder as we put on the world. War, the royal wardrobe. Just one reminder for, for two different groups in here. If there's anyone here who has never trusted in the person and work of Jesus Christ, listen, this passage is very clear. This is what we're, this is what we're called to put on, right? This is put on meekness and patience, bear with one another humility. In Jesus Christ, we have the fulfillment of of all these things, we have love and peace and patience and kindness and meekness and forbearing. These are all perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he is right now, he is so kind and he is so patient. He is so forbearing with sin as he calls humanity to repent. But you need to know that this is a limited time option to turn to Jesus Christ because God is completely holy. God is completely just. God must pour out his wrath on sin. So you have this life, you have today to turn from your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ to be the one who bore your wrath or you have eternity without him. And you will not find that he is kind and meek. On that day, you will find that he is holy and just. So allow his kindness to lead you to repentance. And turn and place your faith in Jesus Christ. For everyone else, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, right, I hope reading this passage, probably an obvious, right, just 
application of where are we lacking these things, right? Where, where, are we, where are we lacking compassion and where are, we, where are we lacking sort of unity and humility? And then it, I, hope, I hope it's obvious that then we, we need to go and we need to turn to Jesus Christ afresh. We need to allow, as we go to Jesus Christ, that as we go to him again and again and again, we go and we find that not just are we putting on these things, but he pours out so much of these things that, that love and peace and patience just, just flow out of us. And so, so, so keep going. So where you find yourself in, in conflict to, to go to Jesus Christ, where you find yourself sort of impatient to, to go to Jesus Christ, where you find yourself sort of, sort of in, in pride, go, go to Jesus Christ and you will be humbled. You will, you will be filled with compassion. You'll be filled with mercy. And so, so we will go. And so, so let me encourage you, where you see this lacking, to, to turn to Jesus Christ. But just as a reminder, this is, this is one of several places, right, where where in, in Scripture just calls us to, to put certain things on, sort of as this, this thing we wear, right? And so this passage is about we put off and we put on. This is what we are to wear. This is what we are to be clothed in. And here he talks about this character that we're going to be clothed in. And other places he talks about sort of the armor that we're to be clothed in the, the, as we walk this life. One of the things that I love about this passage is, is and, and one common trait about all these passages is, all these things we're, we're to be clothed in. This is a very temporary way that we need to walk. See, soon enough, there's not, we're not going to be wearing battle clothes because the battle will be over and there will be victory. One, one day, we're not going to have to keep fighting the old man because we will, be, we will see him and, be, and behold him and we'll be transformed into his likeness. One day, we will have sort of no... No earthly battles and this earthly war that just keeps waging against us and keeps waging against us and these and these sins we're, we're not just we're going to be experienced where we're not sinned against where, where there's no circumstances that are against us but we we will all be home and we will be free from all these things where we will experience a day where all this earthly attire that we put on will be exchanged and we're going to get dressed for a wedding and for a feast we are going to get dressed for the great reunion with all the saints, that we won't have to keep putting off the old man because we will, we will be transformed into his likeness, that all these earthly things that we put on today will be exchanged for crowns, that we give back to God, that that day is coming and that day is fixed. That's part of our identity. It's part of our destiny. That day is not far off. Paul's telling us, and this is how we're going to get there, by putting these things on today. So let's not be weary of walking. Let's look forward to the day where it's not armor anymore, but we've exchanged all of it for what he does for us in eternity. But let's clothe ourselves today to help us get there. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to be a people who as your chosen holy ones, put on compassion and kindness, humility and meekness and patience. Lord, will we be people who bear with one another and forgive one another who the peace of Christ dwells in us and dwells over us. Lord, may we be a people who more and more don't just sort of put a list of things that we're sort of externally put on, but a people transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ, transformed by the kindness and mercy and humility of Jesus Christ, that it flows out of our lives 
to the world around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.